Here's something a little strange. A lot of my nightmares, even now as an adult, take place in the basement of my childhood home. There was something I was never quite comfortable with down there. The dark corners, the strange noises, the damp air. Down below the house, below the ground, the basement seemed to me to be straddling two worlds. The space between worlds, the world above ground, where I went to school and ate dinner and was sent to my room and the underworld. Now, of course, as a rational adult, I know that a basement barely penetrates the Earth's crust, that when we descend into one, we're not getting any closer to some so-called underworld. But the center of the Earth is literally made of fire and brimstone, so, in a way... This week, two stories of the underneath. In the first... Why I Can't Sleep, a man recounts a childhood sleepover that still haunts him. In the second, Teeth in the Yard, some strange teeth turn out to be more than just a curiosity. Death and dying are the threshold between this world and the next. The boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From MWHS, this is Death Dying and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. I lived in the country as a kid. Country so wide that while you could see the other houses of the other families that lived nearby, it was a couple minutes walk to get over there if you were, say, going to play with one of the other kids. The other kids were all my friends, of course, but not because I had anything in common with them or enjoyed being around them. It didn't matter if they were nice to me or nice to the other kids either. I was friends with them because they were nearby. They lived by me and because my mom kept insisting that I go out and play. One of those kids in particular was called Eric. He was taller than the rest of us and a year older, and because he was taller and older, he was able to control anything that he was involved in through sheer force of will, or actual force. The worst thing about Eric, I think, was he had a way of showing just enough remorse when he hurt me badly enough that I thought he would change. He never did. But I'm getting distracted. I was trying to tell you about the voice. One day at school, Eric asked me if I wanted to come over to his house that Friday for a sleepover. Sleepovers were always my favorite. They were excuses to stay up too late telling scary stories or watching scary movies that we weren't supposed to. Stories and movies that would inevitably haunt my nightmares in the weeks following, but in the moment were forbidden and fun. So even though I knew Eric was kind of a jerk, I said yes on the hope that the extended reverie of that sacred thing called the sleepover would be enough to temper his unpleasantness. My mom dropped me off at 6 o'clock on Friday. 
a little earlier than our planned 6.30 drop-off time because I was eager to start the fun and badgered her until she gave in. Eric and his mom answered the door and welcomed me into their house, and his mom gave us a bowl of popcorn and set us in front of the TV with a VHS of the Disney movie Aladdin. We ate the popcorn, and Eric did his best impressions of each of the characters, which was genuinely funny to me. About halfway through the movie, Eric's mom came back and got us for dinner, and I met Eric's dad and had three slices of pizza and soda pop. It's hard for me to remember what happened between dinner and the next part of the story I'm trying to tell you. We must have finished the movie. I think we had ice cream a little later. At some point, Eric's dad must have come down to set up air mattresses for us in the den. We maybe watched another movie? Played a game or two? I think I remember something about a game of war. What I remember most clearly about that night was later. It must have been past 11. Eric's parents had gone to bed. We were in the scary story portion of the night, which was usually my favorite. Eric was sitting on his air mattress, and I was sitting on mine. The lamps were off, the TV was buzzing, whatever VHS we had put in had ended. He had just started his story. Two years ago, my sister died, he said. Did you know that? I shook my head. I'm still not sure whether this was a lie or not. She was littler than me. I kicked a ball into the road and she chased it. Car got her, he said. My parents felt so sad. I felt so sad. I missed her. I prayed and prayed for her to come back. Prayed and prayed that she'd talk to me again. He paused, I guess for effect. Then, I started hearing a voice beneath my bed. It kept saying my name. I thought it was her at first, but it wasn't. I know it wasn't. But it sounded just like her, he said. What do you mean, I asked. You know how when you're hunting with your dad, and you use a buck call to trick the deer into thinking you're one of them? I nodded even though I had never been hunting and my dad had left my mom and I when I was one year old. Like that, he said. I stared, stupid and slack-jawed. This pathetic excuse for a scary story was all it took to set seven-year-old me off. Do you want to hear it? he asked. I stopped breathing for a second. My face burned with hot panic. There was no way I wanted to hear a ghost, especially not one that was impersonating his sister to trick him. Eric turned to face me each time we ascended a stair on the way to his second-story bedroom. He pointed at every creaky spot, held his finger to his mouth each time I took a sharp breath, and shushed me when I stubbed my toe on the third step from the top and let out a moan. When we entered the second-story hallway, Eric slowed down considerably. He stopped several feet from his door and turned to me. I saw the fresh dread in his eyes, saw the color leaving his cheeks. His skin seemed pale white, even in the warm yellow glow of the hallway nightlight. We should go back downstairs, he said. We should be in bed. 
If my parents catch us out, we'll be in trouble. I never knew this side of the tough older boy that spent half his time bullying the neighborhood kids and half his time trying to get them to like him. Come on, he said, and started making his way back to the staircase. No way, I said, sensing I had the power in this relationship for the first time ever and wanting to exploit it. I want to hear this voice. By this point, I knew what his game was. He had made up the story to scare me, hoping that I would be the one to chicken out. Now that we were so close and I wasn't chickening out, he realized there'd be no voice coming from under the bed. He'd be found out as a liar. I turned away from Eric to his bedroom door and walked the few more steps to it. I opened it just as Eric whispered, wait. It was too late, though. I was already through the door and looking at the bed. A twin. It had race car sheets and stuffed animals piled on it. The rest of the room was stacked with toys and games. Everything a kid could want. Looking back at the door, I saw Eric, barely peeking into the room with one wide eye. Come on, I whispered to him, but he shook his head. I crouched down and looked under the bed, but it was too dark to see anything. I laid on my stomach and crawled over next to it, laid there for a few minutes, listening for the voice. Nothing, though. I heard nothing. I looked back to Eric. He was shaking. I don't hear anything, I said. You have to... Talk to it, he whispered back. I turned back to the dark void. Suddenly my lips were dry. My throat started cracking. I had become nervous in an instant. Hello? I said, squeaking out the only word I could think of. Like a soft summer breeze, a voice brushed against my ears. Not a little girl's voice. Not Eric's sister. It was my grandmother's voice. She had passed away several months before, but now, here, she was saying my name. Hi, Ben. How are you? The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I crawled backward a foot or two. There was some movement, some shifting of shapes, some sliding of ink over shadow in the space under the bed. Don't be afraid, Ben. I don't want to frighten you. The voice paused. I stared into the darkness, frozen somewhere between terror and heartache. My seven-year-old heart raced. I'm just here to tell you it's okay. I'm okay. Are you really my grandma? I asked. Yes, the voice responded. And I've missed you. I looked back toward the door. Eric was gone and he had closed the door behind him. When I looked back toward the bed, I swear I saw a face retreat back into the darkness. Ben, what if I told you that you could bring me back? My grandma said. What? I asked. Bring me back with you, she said. How? Just ask me to, she said. The soothing sound of my grandma's voice had calmed me down, and now I thought of my mom. How sad she was when Grandma died, and how happy she would be if I brought her back. How happy I could make her if I brought her back. Will you come back home with me, Grandma? I asked. 
Of course, she said. My mom would never hear my grandma's voice. It would never talk to her. But every night the voice would speak to me. At first it was only my grandma's voice. Then, once grandpa died, it was his as well. Over the last 20 years, the voices sounded like my mom, my uncle Rick who always took me camping, my girlfriend Liz after she died in a car crash. I've come close to tricking people into taking the voice like Eric did to me when I was young, but I don't have the heart to do it to someone else. Eric was bigger and stronger, and I'm weak. I sleep on the couch every night, and even then I don't get much sleep because I can hear my dead girlfriend cooing from the bedroom. It always wants the same thing, for me to visit it underneath the bed, like a hunter with a buck call that's been trying to catch me for 20 years. Thanks for listening to Death, Dying, and Other Things. Next up, Teeth in the Yard. The first one stuck in his foot, embedded in his skin without breaking it, a small chunk of white. Peter was walking barefoot across the backyard, the common backyard he shared with the other tenants in his modest apartment building. It glistened in the sun when he had picked it off his foot, and the shine kept him from discarding it straight away like a stray pebble. A tooth. A front one. Not one of the big front ones. The ones that so easily look out of place. The ones that, in his own mouth, had been called buck teeth all his life. No, it was one of the smaller front ones. One of the ones right next to those big ones. Peter didn't know the names of the teeth, so he ran through this explanation in his mind. He turned the tooth over in his palm. It was a nice one. Pearly white, root and all. He considered saving it maybe putting it on a necklace and giving it to Janet. Janet was the girl he'd been seeing. She liked those sorts of things. Strange things. Maybe a gift like that would convince her to finally call Peter her boyfriend. He decided to pocket the tooth for now and decide what to do with it later. Even if he didn't find a use for it, it probably belonged to someone from the building. They'd appreciate having it back. Maybe even give Peter a reward. The tooth found its way into the dish Peter used for spare change, the one just inside his door, and he forgot about it once the change from a few subsequent days had buried it. The next one broke his skin. Peter wasn't sure what it was at first, a nail or broken bottle hidden somewhere in the grass. He dropped to his knee, and he felt around with the tips of his fingers, pressing into the cool lawn. When he found it with his fingers, he thought it was a shard of metal, maybe a piece of some old luggage. When he tugged and it didn't budge, he thought it was an exceptionally sharp rock buried deep in the soil. Peter tugged again and it gave a bit. Once more, and he felt a slight rip deep in the soil like the perforations holding a coupon to its flyer finally giving way. It was another tooth, one of the pointy ones, canines, 
He remembered the names of those because they were the same ones dogs had, although he was sure this one didn't come from a dog. Human, obviously. It looked just like his, with one exception. Along the root were several white protrusions. No more than bumps, really, like the tooth had pimples. Cavities, he thought. Must be something like that. He wasn't a dentist, after all. The new canine reminded Peter of the other tooth he had found earlier in the week, and he fished it out of the change to have another look. He tossed the two teeth in his palm, like dice he was ready to throw on some eccentric craps table. He had a little experience with craps tables, and a little experience throwing dice, too. The new canine was brilliant white, just like the other one. The other one didn't have the bumps the new one did, but otherwise... They looked like they could have come from the same mouth. Peter had an evening ritual that sometimes irritated the other residents of the building. After dinner on most days, he liked to crack a beer, go sit on a folding chair out on the small balcony of a second-story apartment, and whistle. In Peter's part of the country, it was best to water the lawn at night, so the sprinklers were usually on during his whistling, and that night was no different. He used the sprinklers to keep time, the chk-chk-chk of the spraying water making a rudimentary beat. And he whistled. He whistled the same song his dad used to whistle to him when he was young, though he didn't know the name or where it came from. He whistled and watched the sprinklers until the woman in the apartment next door to his came out to her balcony and told him to shut it with the whistling. Make me, he said. What's the matter, you don't like a little entertainment at night? Entertainment I don't mind, she said, but you're not entertaining. Oh, give me a break, he said. I'm just enjoying myself out here. Just enjoying yourself, but you're giving me a headache. Would you leave me alone, he asked. I'll leave you alone when you leave me alone, she said. All right, all right, I'll make you a deal, he said. Give me five more minutes, then I'll stop. She thought about it. Okay, she said. Five minutes. I'm going to time you. Then she went back inside. Peter whistled for five more minutes. He remembered the last time he heard his dad whistle the song. It was the night he died. His dad had just arrived home from work, and he was up on the second floor in the master bedroom getting changed out of his work clothes. Peter remembered his dad's whistle echoing through the ducting, filtering down from his parents' room to the kitchen where he was sitting at the table doing homework. He remembered the way the song cut off abruptly. He remembered the shout. He remembered the roar. He remembered the frames shaking on the wall as his dad fell down the steep staircase and broke his neck. Then Peter remembered the t-shirt he had dropped outside the bathroom, the one his mother had asked three times to throw into the hamper the one he promised he'd pick up just as soon as he was done with his homework, the one that had, somehow, wrapped around his father's ankle and sent him headfirst down the stairs. When his five minutes were up, Peter downed the rest of his beer and whispered into the wind, as he did every night, that he wished he could tell his father how sorry he was. Peter found another tooth the next morning. He was walking across the backyard with shoes on this time, on his way to his car parked in the back alley. He had, 
since he found the other two, been paying much closer attention to the lawn on his morning walks. He didn't step on this one, just noticed the bright white in the corner of his eye. Mary, a widow from the first floor, was rounding the building on the way to get her mail. Peter called over to her. Mary, you know anything about these teeth? Huh? She said. Teeth. Teeth. He pointed to his mouth to make it clear what he was talking about. No, I don't know what you mean, she said. I've found three teeth in the yard the last couple weeks. You know anything about that? No. No, she said. You know anyone that might? No, she said. I don't know anything about any teeth. She turned and finished her walk to the mailbox. Peter turned back to the tooth. He pushed the grass out of the way so he could get a better look at it. It was a molar. He could see the top of it, but the root was pushed down into the dirt like it was planted, like someone was planting these teeth. He yanked on it. This one was really wedged in there. Yanked again, and again nothing. He got off his knees and onto his feet, crouching like he was about to lift some heavy piece of furniture. He got a good grip on the tooth and used the leverage of his legs to pull the tooth up. He heard and felt popping and ripping like he was clawing up a handful of grass, and once the molar was free of the ground, he could see why. All along the root of the tooth, slender structures were protruding. A long white root with small branching roots of its own, like some skeletal carrot. Peter stood dumbstruck for a few minutes, looking at the thing he had just pulled up. The pearly white top, the long slender root, the dirt clinging to the smaller roots underneath. He ran it upstairs to his apartment and placed it on the kitchen table before heading to work. He'd deal with it later. That evening, when he got home, he ran the thing under the tap and rubbed off the dirt like he would some potato he was preparing to cook. The tooth was hard and strong as any tooth he would expect, but the slim, tendriller roots were pliable, moving about as his fingers passed through them. He retrieved the two other teeth he had found thus far and lined the three of them up on the table, one right next to the other. It was clear what those bumps on the canine were now, next to this new molar with its mass of thin roots. What were these things? Were they really teeth? Or did they just look like they were? Surely they were plants, because they had roots. But normal teeth have roots, just not the thin ones he was seeing here. Maybe they were a fungus? Were they dangerous? Was he exposing himself to some kind of toxic substance by handling these and keeping them in his home? Should he have been wearing gloves this whole time? How were they getting there, even? Was someone planting them? He'd never seen anything like this before. He picked up the teeth with a set of tongs, displaying newfound care, and put the three specimens, as he started calling them, in a plastic bag. Peter's dental distraction almost caused him to not have dinner ready for Janet when she arrived that night. They did this once or twice a week, Peter and Janet. They'd go over to one another's house, and the host would make dinner, and then they'd start watching a movie, and ten minutes in, they'd have their clothes off and be in the other room. 
They'd only been seeing each other for about a month like this, but Peter had already developed fairly strong feelings for Janet and had mentioned on the last several occasions that he'd like to start calling her his girlfriend. She'd balked at that the first few times Peter mentioned it, and Peter, always deciding it was better to keep seeing her than press the issue, had dropped it. His friends had always said he fell in love too fast, and when faced with evidence like this, he found their advice easy to take. When Forks started scraping the plates in front of them and Janet had already started thinking about which movie they would pretend to watch, Peter told Janet he had something he wanted her to see. Janet's stomach flipped, expecting Peter had some grand romantic gesture and their spontaneity and lust would be killed. But Peter cleared the dishes and came back to the table with the teeth. Peter told the story as best he could about how he found the three teeth, each more bizarre than the last. When he finished, he looked in Janet's eyes, confused but excited. He expected an answer she didn't have. This is weird, she said. Yeah. Sure is, he said. Are there any more? she asked. I haven't found any others, if that's what you mean, he said. Just these three. Well, how hard have you looked? she asked. I wouldn't say I've looked, I just stumbled on these, he said. Are you kidding me? she asked, and went to the window, looking down on the dark backyard. Peter noticed the woman from next door on her porch, looking down on Janet and himself, about fifteen minutes into their impromptu search. Janet had convinced Peter to drop everything, grab flashlights, and comb through the yard, looking for these strange teeth. They could be important, she said. We could be rich. The woman in the apartment next door watched the pair start in the northwest corner of the backyard, and work through the 150 or so square feet, inch by inch pushing away blades of grass, shining flashlights down into the soil, scaring earthworms and cockroaches back into their subterranean homes. By the end of their two-hour search, they found three more teeth, two with full sets of large root systems, and one that had broken off right where the root would start. Peter raised his head up to his neighbor, still watching, like some warden of the yard. "'You know anything about these teeth?' he said, raising his voice. No, she said, just watching you two. Back in the apartment, Peter washed the dirt off their new specimens, and Janet lined the six teeth up on the table. The broken tooth, the original tooth, and the canine with the bumps were grouped together, and the three with full root systems, two molars and a canine, were grouped together as well. The pair looked down on their strange vegetation for a while before Peter asked, who do we call about this? The news? Janet asked. I don't think they'd care about some lost teeth, he said. Or they'd think it was a hoax. Yeah, probably think it was a hoax, she said. Didn't you mention you had an ex that was studying to be an archaeologist, Peter asked. I did, but I don't think he'd be able to help, Janet said. Who the hell do we call about this? He asked again, this time rhetorically. Just then, as Peter's voice trailed off and the apartment fell into silence, a soft, sweet whistling started up outside the apartment door out in the hallway. The tune was recognizable to Peter immediately. It was the song his father used to whistle, the song Peter whistled every night on the porch while enjoying a beer overlooking the backyard. Footsteps followed the whistling. 
firm, confident footsteps, drawing near to the apartment door. Janet, confused, looked at Peter. His face betrayed his fear. He'd never heard anyone except his father and himself whistle that tune. The footsteps came to rest outside the apartment door, and the whistling stopped. And then, Peter remembered something else from the night his father died. He remembered the six teeth the police had to pick up off the floor that had been knocked loose from his father's skull as he tumbled down the stairs. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The stories, both Why I Can't Sleep and Teeth in the Yard, were written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Dental Work and to Loose Soil. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a production of MWHS. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.